0: The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It is our 2019 Fiesta Bowl. Preview edition. I am Jeff Sharon, and joining me is Eric Lopez. We've got guests galore. We've got we're, we're talking to people in airports. It's crazy, man. So uh, kind of hard to believe that uh, here we are, just a few days away from uh, from New Year's Day. Eric Lopez, it, uh, it you know, it's funny the bowl season. It feels like it's going to take forever, and you're watching these crappy bowl games, and then all of a sudden you look up and the semifinals are in a couple days, and New Year's Day is right around the corner, man.
1: You know what? Uh, you know what's funny about that? The first actual bowl game I've actually watched was Thursday's game between Temple and Duke, because that was in the uh, that was in the iHeart Studios. As I was fill I'm filling in on the finish line, right, shot doctor. So I'm on with Jerry. Up for those that watch Thursday and Friday, and Temple and Duke was on, and Temple was on. It was up twenty-seven to fourteen. I'm like, all right. Next thing I know, I look over my shoulder, you know, we started the show doing it. Next thing I know, Duke had scored like 42 unanswered points or something to that extent. (laughs) And and I'm like, what the heck's going on? So, that was the first time I've watched any of these bowl games this year. I've kind of boycotted bowl games. I've kind of started doing that for the last couple years because I'm not a fan of the system the way it is. Uh, But obviously finally we're getting to the main meal here, which is the playoffs on Saturday, and then obviously the UCF-LSU game, which, oh, by the way, yes, we are playing LSU, which uh, th- this has been a very bizarre kind of lead-up into the game, because we've talked about other teams instead of the actual opponent we're playing. So this is what I'm looking yes. forward to, this actual episode, to talk about the actual opponent that we're playing.
0: This whole thing's just been beyond scurry, but anyway, so we've got that. We've got uh, Brian Murphy is actually en route to Phoenix right now. Um, he is uh, flying out there. He's connecting. He, uh, we actually recorded his interview a little bit earlier. We recording this on Thursday night, December 27th.
1: I know. He's in my favorite airport.
0: Houston. Hobby Airport. Hobby, yeah. which it, it, it's a little bit like saying it's, it's kind of like your favorite public restroom. But anyway. Um. Hey. <laughs> real quick. Real quick. True story. I've been to that airport like 10,000
1: times. The first time I ever traveled with UCF softball was for the 2008 Conference USA Championship. We won the championship against Houston, and then we literally had to catch a flight right after the game. We actually celebrated on the field and celebrated at that airport, that conference championship, as we were waiting for a flight.
0: So. <laughs> because you're like, all right, we won. All right, everyone pack up. We got to get out of here. <laughs> Pretty much.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how that works. Um, was-
0: okay. So we got Murph uh, at the airport, um, kind of previewing the uh, UCF side. Um, and we also have uh, Stephen Baker uh, from our SB Nation brethren covering LSU and TheValleyShook.com joining us uh, to talk LSU. Got a great preview from him, um, including uh, some tips for you UCF fans who may be going out there tailgating uh, before the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Um, some tips for uh, for getting on the good side of uh, of the folks from Baton Rouge. Uh, coming up there, uh, and, uh, and and Louisiana heading out there as well. So uh, plenty to talk about with that. But first, let's just uh, dive into the brass tacks here. LSU and UCF in the 2019 Sony PlayStation Fiesta Bowl uh, at University of Phoenix Stadium indoors. It's a 1 p.m. Eastern kick, 11 a.m. local time. UCF actually arrived in Phoenix uh, earlier today uh, on Thursday, December 27th. Um, The Knights are a seven and a half point dog over under is 55 and a half. The line actually opened at 10 in favor of LSU. So so they've shaved almost a field goal off of that. Um, LSU comes in uh, nine and three uh, in this game, six and six against the number uh, so far. But uh, again, this game is indoors. I think that certainly favors UCF. LSU is missing three key defensive players including both of their starting corners uh who've uh, who will not play in this game and one of their key pass rushers as well. Uh there was also an incident earlier this week involving their second leading rusher uh who is involved in uh in apparent in an apparent shooting which we'll get to a little bit more uh in depth with uh Steven Baker but this has kind of been uh you know, and, and I don't want to make light of a, of what it really is in some cases a serious situation. But this has kind of been a Murphy's law a little bit for uh, LSU coming into this game. You know, the, the ongoing joke, Elo, was you know, well, <laughs> is LSU is LSU going to be motivated for this game? I don't think motivation is going to be a problem for LSU. I think distraction might be a problem for them.
1: I think that's fair. Uh, you got guys thinking about the NFL draft. You've got, like, si- uh, outside, off-the-field situations there. It's been a bizarre type of deal there, and it really leaves you wondering, what are you going to see from LSU when they get on the field? Because they are not going to be at full strength. Uh, where is their mind at? Is their mind kind of just, let's get through this game? Is their mind as, hey, let's try some things for next year? Are they going to be fired up to play? I mean just a very odd thing there's just everything's going on except the game now maybe as we get closer to kickoff it'll uh, you know low down and you know Ed Orjuan say what you will and everybody will uh one <laughs> thing he does do in talking to people at LSU and, and, and even here he was in Orlando last year people forget this LSU played Notre Dame here in Orlando a year ago while UCF was in Atlanta he has a way of getting players the most out of them motivation wise he's a pretty fiery guy as you've seen on the press conference and I think the players you know the reason he got that job is cuz players play for him. And so, I don't question LSU's effort once they step on the field. I just wonder uh with everything that's going on, I I just can't imagine that mentally you prep for a game like this and can be fully invested like maybe you, you know, with everything that's going on.
0: You know, it, when it comes down to on the field, I think, you know, when you look at this at the breakdowns that they that we've seen to this point, you may look at LSU statistics and think, you know, now they're not really all that impressive. You know, they're 80th in the country, for example, in total offense. 58th in rushing, 79th in passing. Not really really well known as a passing team, but, you know, they're, they're calling Card as defense. Yeah. And the thing that kind of jumps out to me is ninth in the country in team pass efficiency defense. This team knows how to defend against the pass. We saw the passing dimension of DJ Mack open up in the conference championship game, but um, you've made this point uh, a couple times uh, a little bit later in the show, which we'll get to, Elo. But I think it bears uh, I think it bears repeating is that this game feels like it's going to be one in the trenches that it's going to be a game between these uh, these, the, these uh, f- the the front sevens and the offensive lines uh, to see who can who's going to blink first, and uh, you know the the, the we're going to see probably a little bit different attack from UCF in terms of rushing. I think, you know, we know that Daryl Mack is uh, a much better runner with the football than Mackenzie Milton was, obviously that part of that's part of that's, you know, fairly obvious, at least at this point, but, um, but uh, the other part of it is, is by choice. Uh, And I also think that uh, UCF's defense knows what it's going to be up against as well. And I'm a little bit worried about some of the, uh, about how UCF has defended the run to this point, but how do you see this game sort of play, sort of panning out from an X's and O's perspective?
1: Well, I would say a couple things. I mean, we we you know, we, and it's not just us; everybody in the sports media. We spend like hours and hours and weeks breaking down a game, and sometimes it's the most basic thing. Tell me how the line of scrimmage is being won, you know. And I had a chance to you know I watched the Peach Bowl once uh, recently when UCF beat Auburn, and I remember Scott Frost in the post game. I think he was talking to Allison Williams, and he he said, I felt good about our chances as long as we could block them. And if we could block them, I liked our chances. And that's what UCF And really, if you think about that, it's such a simple thing to say, right? Yeah. If you remember, Jeff, you were there at the game. What did UCF do? Why was one of the reasons why UCF was successful against Auburn? Because Mackenzie Milton had time to throw. Yeah, they kept him upright. And by the way, who was at uh, Stidham's backfield almost the entire game? Yeah, Shaquem Griffin.
0: Shaquem Griffin, that's right.
1: UCF, I won the line of scrimmage. And that's why they won the game. So I think this isn't just as big of a part. Look, there's no secret what LSU does here. They're going to run the football. And they're going to try to be physical on UCF. And they've watched tape. They've seen what Memphis and Temple did to this line, even FAU. And they feel they can do the same. And I'm curious to see how UCF responds to that on that side of the ball and handle the physicality when this is our big boys, you're talking about the LSU offensive line. So I think that's going to be a fascinating, simple game in the line of scrimmage. And I think the other side of the ball – Dave Aranda, who is uh, one of the better defensive minds in the sport, one of the better defensive coordinators, well-paid, well-compensated for a good reason. Uh, his scheme is to let his corners uh, play one-on-one and then put pressure on the quarterback. How does, what does he come up with against UCF's offense and Josh Hype in the chess match there? I think is going to be fascinating. I'll tell you this. This will not be a good sign for UCF, and at some point on January 1st, Jeff is tweeting out, wow, this Dave Aranda has got a heck of a scheme going on and we're struggling with him. If that happens, that could be a trouble for UCF. It's going to be interesting what he comes up with from a scheme standpoint and how Hypo and UCF adjust to that with a quarterback that, while he has made starts, is still inexperienced. And this is the biggest game and the biggest uh, light that uh, Mr. Mack will be participating in.
0: Yeah. I I feel like the key here for UCF, Eric, is going to be uh, that they have to get the lead in this game, and they have to try and force l s u into I think a situation for both sides yeah i don't think this is if if one team goes up by more than one score, i think this game could be over i i mean u c f you know when we look back at last year they were down in the third quarter twenty to thirteen and it didn't it still didn't feel like u c f was Entirely out of the game, but you know, obviously, they went on that that they scored that twenty-one unanswered. Um, but it, it feels like whichever team is going to have the lead, if you go up by a touchdown or more, you really have the you really have the hammer because you can tee off a little bit and and, and you know, listen, I'll be honest with you, I had my own doubts about. Uh, Daryl Mack coming into the conference championship game because I wasn't confident in his ability to throw the ball and he proved me and everybody else wrong in that conference championship game but this is a different challenge than Memphis due respect to Memphis and their defense but this is LSU man this is NFL speed you're going up against even with their top two corners missing the thing is with with teams in the SEC if you take away their top two corners guess what the two kids behind them are, are NFL prospects too Right? So, this is going to be, I think that this is going to be a key game for UCF's receivers. Can they get open? And I think that, actually, very similar to last year, I think that the other key for UCF on offense is going to be what does Daryl Mack do with his feet? Remember, last year in the Peach Bowl, the key for UCF that really kept them in the game was Mackenzie Milton's legs. Uh, he ran in that game for 116 yards. At a time when he, he really didn't throw the ball all that well, he was only 16 to 35 throwing and that was with a pretty good second half. His first half was was hot garbage um, and and, he, and he, he'll tell you that straight away. but um, I'm going to be interested to see what Josh Heupel, what sort of wrinkles Josh Heupel has in store to uh, to try and get LSU into a situation where they're always guessing wrong as to who has the football in UCF's backfield.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think here's something to keep in mind. One of the positives that why coaches and a lot of people like these bowl games, practice. And Max had a lot of practice here. Probably more practice than he's had maybe even during the season, getting a lot of reps, getting all the reps. So I think that'll be a positive, and that'll help him out. But uh, I'm curious to see, like you said, I'll be interested to see what Aranda kind of lines up here and maybe see some things. Sometimes teams in these, when you have such a long layoff, maybe uh, come up with a couple of wrinkles that you don't get to see on tape because they haven't used it all year.
0: Yeah. Now, the other side, when it comes to UCF's defense, I think that you, know, you can't afford to, again, like we said earlier, fall down very much like you did in some of those other games. I know that UCF has played six of their uh, of their 12 games to this point against uh, against top 20 rushing offenses. I don't care what... The numbers say we know you know what you're going to get from LSU. They are going to run the football. Um, they're not going to tr- quite simply because their passing game right now to this year has just not been where it is. You could easily see a situation where, you know, maybe they could outthink themselves and do maybe what I think what um, Randy Shannon was doing in the conference championship game, which was I'm going to play my two deep shell for the first half and make my adjustments afterwards. Well, that two deep shell got you down in a hurry in that game by quite a bit. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, even if LSU has a speed advantage on the outside, their quarterback isn't necessarily prepared to make those kinds of throws. And if you trust UCF secondary, um, as I think that Randy Shannon should in this case, um, I think you should try. You, you should play up on the run and dare their quarterback to beat you. But I don't know. Am I wrong in assessing that?
1: No, I agree. But I thought he would do the same thing against Memphis. Yeah. So
0: that's why. I,
1: yeah. I mean, I really no. I agree 100. percent I think the secondary is the strength of UCF. I don't see why you don't put you know seven eight in the box early at least, and really force Burrows to throw the football. That's how LSU lost to Florida. Florida was able to control that line of scrimmage and make Burroughs make throws that he's not a guy that LSU wants to be throwing in the football 35 40 times that's not their game if that's their game they're, they're, they're in trouble so I I'm a hundred percent behind you on
0: that. yeah well we've got uh, a lot to talk about but and yet not quite as much because you know sort of the news hasn't begun to start yet this week but uh, but we still want to get you prepared as you as some of you guys are probably heading out to Phoenix right now uh, listening to this podcast so um, Brian Murphy himself is actually on his way out to Phoenix uh, for what will be a busy week of Fiesta Bowl preparation between UCF uh, and LSU. And he joined us from Hobby Airport in Houston as he was connecting a little earlier tonight uh, to get out to Phoenix to uh, sort of talk about the UCF uh, side of things um, in preparation for this game as they left out there, by the way, with Mackenzie Milton in tow, it should be noted, um, as they flew out to uh, Phoenix for the game. So, Uh, Here is, uh, without further ado, our very own Brian Murphy talking with us uh, on his way out to Phoenix. (laughs) And joining us now from the William P. Hobby Airport in Houston, Texas, literally from the Hobby Lobby, I guess you could say, terrible dad joke, I know, is Brian (laughs) Murphy um, on his way out to Phoenix to cover the game. Uh, We are literally everywhere with this team. So uh, how's the trip so far, Brian?
2: It's been very nice, Jeffrey. I'm from I'm I'm in front of illustrious Gate Twenty Three, where my plane flight being delayed has allowed me to be a part of this podcast. Don't you feel lucky?
0: I do feel extremely lucky. What about any UCF fans alongside you? You know, saying like, "Hey, Brian Murphy, what's
2: up?" You know, no, 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 no. But uh, I did count. I think three people on the connecting flight from Orlando to Houston dressed in UCF gear. So three.
0: So so the Armada is on its way. Um so you're on your way out there. Um press conference is going to be Friday. We're recording this on Thursday. Recording this interview on Thursday night. Um as you're waiting to connect out to Phoenix. What's the st- mm-hmm. what's the stuff that we know right now about UCF heading out to the bowl
2: game? Uh they're undefeated. Let's see what else do we know. <laughs> they're playing in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh uh, How many players ma- are actually
0: playing, Murph?
2: Yeah, uh, lots. Many guys. Most seniors, of them are out there. <laughs> some freshmen. <laughs> what a what a very broad question. Well, what I, do well, we know? Well, what I do mean, we know about UCF? I, I feel like I don't know. This is this is me projecting, this is not about UCF. This is more about me. Like I would say, going to this bowl game, I feel a lot more confident heading into this bowl game than I did heading into this time last year to to Atlanta to face Auburn. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, I I, I think that. It, that would be I mean I would too if I was these players because you've been there before you've played on that stage before you've played against an SEC foe before um, LSU's got three guys out um, was almost more which we'll get to in a second but but you said Mackenzie Milton's is, also, is uh, out on the plane so he's been cleared to yes. to travel at least which I guess is good news for his recovery right?
2: Yes, we, we had known uh, a, at least a week ago not only that he would be there but he would travel with the team on their on their charter which yeah is a good is a is a uh, oh there's a child scream is behind me is oh, a That's, it, common, <laughs> that's it's a common really, at
1: airport,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's a good sign for his recovery cuz you know, he doesn't need a pri- his own private plane to get there for him to travel with the team. It, it it's a, it's at least um it's 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 a good sign. It could be worse. So, but it, it, I think in just in spirit to have him there, and there was a presser at the airport today in which Wyatt Miller and Titus Davis talked about uh, how you know it, how awesome it is that he's with them, and just you know he's one of them, he's their brother, he's always there for them. So for him to be there in person, really not just for the game, but for the entire prep week in Arizona, I think it's gonna be a pretty big motivational motivational lift for them. To what extent does he help from a football perspective? I think it's just more about like preparing Daryl Mack for, for this stage, right? Like, you know, what can he really say about LSU that the coaches and the players don't already see? Like he doesn't have like inside knowledge on LSU. But I think as far as t- t- talking to the guys who haven't been on this stage, specifically Mack, about how to deal with the early jitters. I mean, we saw this with McKenzie uh, uh, last year in Atlanta. Like he came out of that. He came out in that game against Auburn, and it was not pretty. It was rough to start. Uh, And I think he's going to talk a lot to Daryl about that this week, about how you sort of deal with those sort of inevitable nerves. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that he can really add to this team as far as on-field product.
1: Well, Murph, I'm just curious. You know, I'm fascinated to see how they handle this week. It it does feel different, in my opinion. I don't know, Jeff, if you feel this way. The Auburn game, there was so much buzz around the game. You know, fans, you know, they're – they, they sold, you know, there were so many emails and, and press releases about ticket sales through the roof and how everybody was going, driving to Atlanta, and, you know, they got Auburn and undefeated season. You got the whole Scott Frost saga. This has been a lot quieter. Uh, yeah. You know we, know, we know the head coach is staying. That's for starters. Uh, there has been no press releases from anybody, whether it be UCF, LSU, or the Fiesta Bowl, that ticket sales are doing great or they've sold out or any of that, which would suggest that They haven't sold many tickets, or at least sold them out uh, to that degree. So I'm curious. Do you think that? And then you know, we spent so much time talking about Florida and UCF that nobody's really been talking about this game. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Is it like, do you think it's going to be a low key kind of deal up until kickoff here, or do you think it'll pick up?
2: No, it'll pick up certainly now that both teams will be here. Actually, uh, LSU isn't. I don't think as as we're recording this. At eight o'clock central time, I don't think LSU is in Arizona yet. Uh, at least for another hour, their playing got delayed, which is sort of um, sort of a microcosm of their entire month. It's been a weird month for LSU football. Uh, so I think now that both teams will get there this you know today, and as we go through the pressers and the practices, uh, I think people will will you know, and then you get the, the pregame talk and. So, yeah, it'll, it'll ramp up, but it won't be at the level of Auburn because Auburn, that, that game, the Peach Bowl, it felt fresh. It felt, you know, it, it was new in the sense that they hadn't been to a, uh, you know, a, a New Year's Six Bowl game, so to speak, since 2014 at Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they, you know, had an undefeated season for the first time. There was real championship talk and real talk about could UCF hang with, you know, the big dogs of the SEC. Well, we, we know they can because they did it. And now we get to see it again. So the second time through, yeah, there's a little less lustre on it because we've already seen this story. It's just a different opponent. It's like a new Rocky movie, basically.
0: <laughs> nice analogy. So we're going to we're gonna touch upon this with Stephen Baker from And the Valley Shook here in a little bit. But you touched upon it like w- what a traumatic week this has kind of been for well a month. It's been really for LSU, you know, three guys not playing – uh two of them due to the NFL draft one of them due to injury and they almost lost another two guys because of a because of a, an incident involving fi- shots fired in self defense what's about this
2: well according to the reports a man tried to rob or hold up two LSU football players in Louisiana uh i want to say last week and uh well one of those LSU players uh, had a gun on him and uh wasn't playing and fired three times and killed the man who's trying to rob them, and uh, you know they claim self-defense. There will be no penalty for them uh, for this bowl game, or I, I don't even know if any sort of judicial penalty for them. I think it was it's all been sort of wiped away as self-defense. Um, but there's that, and then there's you know a, a really sad story about an LSU player. I believe lost one of his parents. His one of his parents died just a couple of days ago. Um, it's it, and you know you mix that in with. You know, with the, the the guys who aren't here or aren't in Arizona because of the draft or injury, their plane is late today. Um, it, it's, it's just been a, it's, it, nothing has been on schedule, and it, that does that does. I don't want to minimize what you know a player is going through mourning a parent, but you know, from a football standpoint, if I may be so sort of crass and dead about it, it, it it's just another thing that really is it's it's not been an on schedule week or month for this program.
0: Yeah, it's plus you know Coach O is yelling at people during press conferences.
2: I mean, it's just <laughs> that was great, golly! But, but that was, but we're thankful for that. The internet needed it. It was fantastic. Yeah, I know. I'm,
1: listen, that's the only thing I'm looking forward to is Ed Orgeron's press conferences this week. Quite frankly, that uh, might be the highlight of the week. I mean, come
2: on. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the professional transcriptionists who are well, be the old, that out.
1: So, so does, the, my question is: Does Ed Orgeron refer to us as UCF, or does he go straight to Florida?
2: No, I think it's tomorrow? UCF. I think he's already Aww. said UCF. Yeah, because we, uh, we had the we had the we had the teleconference on the day the bowl game was announced, and I think he said UCF a few times.
0: Look, man, if there's anything Something we've more- known about the last year, it's that the branding has finally gotten through. So well,
1: mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. Uh, <laughs> I'm, let me ask let's talk about on the field here, Murph. Yes? Uh, to me this is a very simplistic game. To me, this is a line of scrimmage game. If LSU yep. is physical with UCF and dominates and runs the football Uh, it controls the clock and keeps their defense fresh, then I think it's an LSU type of game. But if UCF uh, line of scrimmage uh, plays up to kind of like they did against Auburn last year and plays up to like they've done like most second halves against Memphis, I don't see how LSU could stay with UCF because uh, to me with LSU, you mentioned some of the departures, I mean, they're shorthanded on defense, secondary. Yes, very much so.
2: uh,
1: And I think UCF can expose them on that. And I don't think LSU is the type of team that's going to come back from a 14, 21-point deficit. So I think the line of scrimmage, to me, it's a, tell me how the line of scrimmage is going, and we probably find out who is our winner is, right?
2: I agree. I mean, a lot of this game does mirror and what LSU likes to do, to kind of mirrors what Auburn liked to do last year with a, a quarterback who wants to manage it. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow really manages things more. They, they, they ask him to do less then Auburn asked of Jared Stidham and then really what they want to do is they want to pound you they want to run it you know 25 times with multiple backs they want to beat you up front so yeah I think for UCF the two things to watch on you know, on defense is not only how UCF wins that battle how they compete in that battle in the trenches against some really athletic long linemen but uh, you know LSU's receivers there's not a Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham in this group but what there is is a bunch of huge dudes uh really a bunch of big guys tough physical like tough from a, from a matchup standpoint in terms of physicality I think uh, it was it uh, coach Shane Burnham the defensive line coach for UCF said that their wide receivers look like tight ends and that kind of match up with you know against smaller corners like Brandon Moore or Rashard Causey out of the slot uh, that'll be a matchup certainly to watch about how those guys deal with really big receivers
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I know you're in the you're in the airport, you're getting ready to go. It should be a pretty interesting matchup which we'll find out more about. Uh what are you going to be uh working on as, as you get to Phoenix uh tonight and then into the weekend?
2: I'm looking forward to just seeing what they tell me tomorrow. We will base everything, <laughs> we'll base everything off of our long availabilities uh Friday, Saturday, uh Sunday, we got media days for both squads. Uh, just looking forward to seeing uh, wh- someone. someone's going to say something kind of spicy. Someone on some side, one side or the other, will say something that kind of perks up all the ears. And uh, that's what we're looking forward to.
0: Good stuff. Maybe it'll be Adrian Killens again this year. All right. Brian Murphy, join us from Hobby Airport. I know you got to get going to catch your flight out to Phoenix. Uh, travel safely. We'll talk to you out there, all right? Thanks, kids. All right. Thanks again to Brian, spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter, if you're following at home. And you should be. He'll be. Uh, tweeting live uh, the game he'll be tweeting the game live as he always does from uh, the press box in um, Glendale so it, it's kind of like the hurry up and wait right Eric like you know oh, we're get we're here we're together for the bowl game and what do we do what do we talk about and maybe we'll find something but I don't know if we found it just yet at least as of recording time who knows by Friday we might have something
1: yeah exactly I mean who knows we'll see uh, we'll see i. I'm curious to see, what's your thoughts here for Glendale? I, You know, they're not obviously going to draw the crowd they did for the Peach Bowl. That's not – I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, you're talking about a driving yeah. distance versus a flight. Do they draw more than they did for Baylor? And I know some people think uh, – and that's been an interesting debate. Some people say yes because the program has grown and all that. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, flights are still expensive. When you have the Fiesta Bowl executive going on the Paul Feinbaum show and pretty much call out the airlines <laughs> – <laughs> not being real helpful—that's never a good sign when how tickets are going. Um, I just wonder if a lot of people just decided to watch the game home. I think this will actually, from a television standpoint, locally, I think this has will be a higher-rated game than the Peach Bowl because I think more people are going to be watching this game uh, in town than last year when a lot of them actually went to the game. So I, I, I'm just curious how they'll draw and you know and, and where kind of the excitement level will be in the, in, in the stands there come the January
0: 1st. You know, that's interesting. The last time UCF was in the Peach Bowl, or it was in the Fiesta Bowl in 2013 when they beat Baylor, the attendance was 65,000 announced. And at the time, that was the smallest uh, attendance for that game since the Fiesta Bowl moved to the new stadium in 2007 where it used to be played at uh, Sun Devil Stadium uh, over at Arizona State. Um I happen to agree with you. I, I don't think that, um, the, I, I don't think that the attendance, the in-game attendance is going to be quite up to standards. I think it, it'll probably surprise people like how, how high it is, but I don't think it'll be in terms of the UCF allotment. I don't think it'll quite be up to the level that 2013 was. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. Cause like you said, that's a, that's a real logistical haul for say families of four who can afford that kind of thing. Um, but I do think that the television ratings. You're right. That does that that it that could be a boon for the TV ratings, especially locally. I think the problem there is it's it's on at a busy time slot on New Year's Day, right? Right. Because you have I think I think it's at least two other games going on at yeah, that State, time. Is that right?
1: Penn State, Kentucky, and the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Ironically enough, for the second year in a row, Yeah. UCF's going up against the bowl game in Orlando. Uh, and, yeah, there's another game on, I believe, at the same time.
0: I yeah, there's the, to say the, there's the Outback, outback Bowl. Yeah, that kicks off at yeah. noon so, yeah, between Mississippi State and Iowa. And then there's the, the yeah. Citrus Bowls, Kentucky and Penn State, and then UCF at 1.
1: So I don't think it'll come close to the, the most watched UCF game of all time in the Orlando market was the 2014 Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. But that was a primetime game.
0: Right, that was an 830 was no, kick, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and there was no other football game going on that night compared to an afternoon game early uh, where people are still going out and stuff like that, and there's other football games to pick from, even other uh, stuff to watch, like hockey games and stuff like that. There's a hockey game outdoors that goes on at that time. So, no, I don't think it'll come close to that game, but I do think it has a chance to be higher locally than the Peach Bowl because, again, more people are going to be in town. The other thing is the national rating will be interesting because LSU's a big draw with that New Orleans market. So I would not be surprised if the Fiesta Bowl maybe draws slightly more people than the Peach Bowl because of the LSU draw in the New Orleans market. Plus, uh, I think the Fiesta Bowl is quite frankly looked at, even though they're all quote-unquote the same bowl game now as far as the New Year's Six. The Fiesta Bowl has way more tradition than the Peach Bowl as far as, wow, that's a marquee bowl game. The Peach Bowl just recently became a marquee bowl game in this system. So uh, I could see the Fiesta Bowl being a higher-rated game. The only thing that hurts it, though, it's, it will not have the playoff um, to help it, there'll be no, but they are going up against the Rose Bowl, which is usually a very well, you know, rated game as well. So right. I, I think it'll draw well television
0: wise. Well, I think it'll also be interesting to see how does that, um, y- y- if the game is close, how does that yes. affect absolutely? Um, or if one of the other games is close, like for example, if if Kentucky and Penn State in the Citrus Bowl, if that game's right. tight late, um, you know, how does that affect UCF uh, well, ratings as well? It's, so. It's,
1: that's a great point. And keep in mind, last year, UCF nationally had to go up against Notre Dame and Michigan. Michigan was in the Outback Bowl. Notre Dame was in the Citrus Bowl. Two right. Powerhouses in TV this year. They're going up against Kentucky and Penn State, with all due respect, not powerhouses when it comes to TV.
0: Well, Penn State it's is, open. but but the, but the other game that they're going up against the Outback Bowls, Mississippi State and Iowa. Yeah. Hardly anyone's going to be watching that game, I think.
1: I agree. So I think, the, I think the Fiesta Bowl will be higher rated nationally than the Peach Bowl was last year because of that. And the LSU... Uh, draw. LSU is a huge draw in television. That New Orleans market, man, it's it's one of the top college markets and really football markets because the NFL, they draw big too with the Saints. It's a huge market for yeah. football and I think that'll help it.
0: Plus, this is the only game between ranked teams in that time slot. Neither, neither, neither yeah. of the other four teams are ranked. so um, That is another thing worth uh, bearing in mind. So Again, 1pm New Year's Day, which is Tuesday, January 1st, uh, on ESPN, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, UCF against yeah. LSU from uh, Brian Glendale. No, wait,
1: Brian. Brian Greasy, along with Steve Levy,
0: yeah, and uh, we'll be
1: there with uh, Todd McShay. They called the American Championship game last year, with UCF right? BC,
0: so, so they are at least, uh, so, so they have a little UCF winning streak going on with that crew. So that's good. Um, all right. When we come back, we will have our special guest joining us from And the Valley shook. Dot com, the LSU uh, team site for SB Nation. Stephen Baker joins us to talk about the Tigers coming in, what to expect from LSU, and some tips for UCF fans on uh, interacting with uh, our, uh, our folks, uh, our friends from uh, the Bayou. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at we sellorlando.net. Again, that's we sellorlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at facebook.com slash sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality.
2: Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Welcome back to the
0: Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. blackandgoldbanneret.com is the site. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Um all right so like we said one of the great things about being part of SB Nation is we can talk to folks who cover the other teams we play regularly um and are part of the and are part of the SB Nation family so we reached out to our good friends at andthevalleyshook.com that's the LSU team site Reference, by the way to the earthquake game in 1988 Eric Lopez between LSU and Auburn uh, and uh and Stephen Baker Uh, One of the editors uh, is kind enough to join us to talk a little LSU. And uh, here it is. Here's our conversation with Stephen Baker of andthevalleyshook.com. And joining us now from our SB Nation sister site, and the Valley Shook covering the LSU Tigers, editor for the site and supposedly designated bomb thrower, uh, Stephen Baker, uh, joining us uh, from his cozy home in Dallas, Texas, which is appropriately approximately midway between here and Phoenix. Um, but uh, nonetheless, he'll be covering the game for uh, and the Valley Shook as, uh, as well as pretty much everybody uh, for the, uh, for, for the uh, SB Nation LSU site. Steve, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. And you cannot stop on my, on, at my place on the way. There's just not enough room for <laughs> <deal. laughs>
0: Well, I, you know what's funny is like we know a few people who are actually driving and are actually making their second drive out to Phoenix for this game because UCF went out to the Fiesta Bowl in 2013, and uh, and through when they threw 52 on Baylor and like and I, I think these people are insane that drive I 10 the whole freaking way like I can't
3: I can't yeah, do that's a tough drive
0: yeah, yeah I I can't do Orlando to Tallahassee you know I mean because that's like 75 to 10 and it's like you finally hit 10 in in Lake City and you're like God I have another three
3: hours of this are you serious like. I I will say it's an easy drive because it's flat pretty much the whole way, but yeah. man, Texas goes on forever.
0: God it's Forever. Not... Uh, buddy so Mine said it was a 5,000-mile round trip. Ugh. I know. Ugh. Fly. That. Come on, people. I know. I know. Well, <laughs> well, let's let's talk let's talk some football. So, uh LSU coming in. Um this is kind of a diff- uh, we had our our guy out in uh in Phoenix, Brian Murphy, who's traveling out there right now. We just had him on. He was talking about how there's some similarities between last year's game, for at least for, from the UCF side, uh, playing against Auburn, you know, a team from the SEC West, um, you know, that that didn't knock off Bama quite to the degree that maybe the rest of the nation would have hoped. Uh, well, we, it's been a while. Yeah, we
3: haven't seen them since 2011. We're a little
0: sorry, bit- dude, but um, it's okay. but. Uh, but it's a different situation where, like, it wasn't like LSU was an eyelash from national from competing for a national championship either. So, I guess if you could evaluate LSU season to this point, like, how would you how would you evaluate it?
3: Uh, this has actually kind of been a raging debate for us. I think it's been a roaring success. Uh, LSU came into the year picked to finish fifth in the SEC West, and as much as I tried to make it into this is the SEC showing us no respect, fifth was a pretty fair pick. Uh, LSU came into the season pretty much with a brand new offense. They had a new offensive coordinator. Um, they also lost a lot on defense. This is just one of the youngest teams in the country. If you look at our depth chart, there's barely any seniors on it, which is LSU rarely has a whole bunch of seniors on their, their depth chart because so many guys go pro early. But this this is extreme even by LSU standards. They had to replace their starting quarterback, their top two running backs, and their top two wide receivers and four of their five players on the offensive line. I mean, this was a rebuild and instead LSU was in the top 10 for almost the entire year. They pulled off some huge wins. Um, Alabama crushed us again. And I mean, well, that's kind of the, the, the dark cloud that hangs around the silver lining. So that's kind of crushing everybody. And this team just wasn't good enough to beat Bama this year. And then it closed off on that A&M game. I don't know if you saw that, but, I'm still bitter about it. Yeah. Um, we got hosed. And yeah, rightfully th- so.
1: You just got hosed.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think, the, honestly, the only reason LSU was in the Fiesta Bowl is because the, the committee didn't really treat it as a full loss. I think they kind of treated it as only half a loss. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you lost. We're going to knock you down a little bit. But that wasn't a real loss. And so – honestly that made me feel better about it because everybody in the country kind of like yeah you got screwed and that happens and as long as everyone recognized we got screwed i'm okay with it so <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you came to the right podcast UCF. Uh, many people believe they've been screwed all year in the last
3: two years by the let's uh, let's, talk, uh, yeah, let's talk let's talk
0: about getting screwed yeah <laughs> yeah oh my god
3: uh i i think last year you guys had a better case i i think this year was just such a no one lost. I mean, you have an undefeated Notre Dame out there, and that hurts you. Uh, Clemson and Alabama, um, you know, r- ran the table. So, I mean, there's a, you know, there's Ohio State that was out there, and Oklahoma only had the one loss, and it was only by. I, I know they were down by like twenty points in Texas, but at the end of the day, they only lost by one score, and they did avenge it in the Big Twelve. And your schedule isn't that good. I, to be honest, look, I'm. I'm pulling for you guys, cause I mean I think it's if nothing else, it's funny, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a the glory of college football kind of way. I, I love small schools, you know, placing a claim on the national championship and screwing the system and throwing a you know a monk a monkey wrench into everything. But this year there just wasn't an opening. I mean, no one really lost and gave you that opportunity to slide in there.
0: You know, you know what the funny part is about that is last year i would say that you know we that ucf got dealt a a royal flush you know i mean everything came together in the in the right in the right spot this year it was it wasn't it wasn't a royal flush it wasn't two pair though it was it was it was kind of an inside straight draw right yeah and we're gonna find out you know what what they're able to come up with here on the river but it's Yet we, I didn't think at the start of this year that UCF would go undefeated again, and I was actually one of the few guys on our staff that actually thought that. I I, I thought we would go ten and two, and uh, and I thought that the t- two of the games that we played close, I thought were the two that we would probably lose. I, I thought that we would lose to Memphis. We beat them by one point, and I thought that we would lose to USF possibly on the road. But I didn't expect USF to. To, to like completely pancake the way that they did and you're right that the the, the conference as we've seen in the bowl games which Eric thinks are still meaningless but whatever um, has not they exactly are, had are. the <laughs> thank you they are, has see? not exactly I had, mean, had well, the best had Steven's the best the well I mean, have for this well right but yeah. here's but here's the thing is like you know yes they're meaningless but they're only meaningless in the minds of people who say that they're meaningless and, and because what's the what's the talking point going to be about the American Athletic Conference coming out of this bowl season? Oh, they stink because they all went one in six or whatever it is in, I in, in bowling. Exactly,
3: look, narratives are going to get born out of bowl season every year. And I do think the further up the chain you go, the more the game matters. Obviously, the Cotton Bowl is going to matter because of the playoff game. Yeah, I think the Fiesta Bowl matters because it's it's now, you know, it's whatever we now call the BCS Bowls now. What are they? Um,
0: the New Year's Six.
3: Yeah, the New, year, the New Year's Six. I mean, I think that matters because it's the New Year's Six Bowl. I'm not going to say it's completely meaningless. But, you know, you get down to the Cheez-It Bowl. Nothing means <laughs> Cheez-Its, which I find delicious. Um,
0: that game was atrocious, by the way.
3: Yeah, it, no one really cares. But, yes, you're right. They will build narratives out this. You show me a team overrated in the preseason, and I'll show you a team that probably won their bowl last year.
0: Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's fair. fair that's
1: a fair point but now let's look at your roster though because there's some players that are not going to play in this game for various reasons <laughs> it's more in the nfl draft so that is lsu kind of the and this is not the first time this is not the first time lsu is going to be shorthanded in bowl games this is now becoming a trend uh starting with leonard Fournette and, and company like that so my question to you is are lsu going to be fired up and ready to play this game and excited to be playing this game or is their mind somewhere else
3: well i think the the players who are there are going to be focused on the game. But yes, there are a lot of guys who aren't there. And like Leonard Fournette sitting out didn't bother me because he was hurt that entire season. And running backs, as we all know, have a very short career. He had to protect that ankle. You know, go make your money some. Greedy Williams bothers me a little bit. I mean, it's still his decision. I know he's playing in a free league. So, and this is just cha- you know, you don't want to jeopardize your future. He's going to be a top 10 pick. But at the same time, he's a sophomore. What are the what are the chances a non physical cornerback has a debilitating injury in the bowl game? That one kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. But Devin White is probably our best defensive player. Um, he's draft eligible, he's a possible top ten pick. He hasn't declared yet, and he's gonna play. Um, we are missing both our top two corners. We're missing both of our defensive tackles, which is really going to hurt. Um, we have a suspension. I think Jacob Phillips is going to be suspended for the first half because I think he got flagged in the A&M game. Don't hold me to that. And John Battle, our starting free safety, um, he was in the fight after the game. Um, they haven't dec- publicly said what his punishment is, but I wouldn't expect him to play at least the, the first quarter. Um... We've been missing our best pass rusher the entire season. We're missing about half our defense. And I don't want to say that as an excuse. I'm just saying that's the reality. But then again, you guys are missing your starting quarterback. So...
0: Right. Everybody
3: <laughs> has an excuse of how to lose this game. I think the guys who are going to play are going to be motivated. On the flip side, our offensive line has been banged up all year. And they're going to be fully healthy for the first time for the Fiesta Bowl. And that... That bodes well for this team, so you lose it on one hand you gain it on the other
0: yeah so coach o is i i i mean is is he kind kind of one of these guys that you you could see as practically for the he's gonna get the benefit of the doubt from l s u fans just because of you know his personality his gregariousness he gets l s u um, you know, or, or like, or, or how much patience do fans really have with them? You know, how many times can LSU go nine and three and lose to Bama before they start losing their patience with them? Uh,
3: if the perfect LSU season is one in which we win the national title and fire the coach, <laughs> uh, um, Coach O came into the season legitimately on the hot seat. Uh, the funny accent only buys you good graces for a year. That said. This year, 9-3 and three was overachieving. So I think this did buy him some good graces because this team played better than we thought it was going to in September. and That means a lot. On the flip side, our offense is still a mess. They still... I mean, we're taking tentative steps into 1995, but this is still...
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is still
3: an offense that... I mean, you see other other teams going around slinging the ball around all over the place, and we're still you know three yards in a cloud of dust. That's just the team we are. On the flip side, in O's, to O's credit, or at least his defense, this is LSU as a team this year. As I told you earlier, with an entirely new offense, so you don't want to completely get crazy on offense. And he had almost all of his defense coming back. So if you're gonna play three yards in a cloud of dust, this was the team to do it with because you want to put the emphasis on your better unit, which was clearly the defense. Yeah.
1: Is that what you're going to expect to see here on January 1st against UCF? Do you think they're just going to try to run the football, try to be this, make this a physical game, try to dominate UCF up front, kind of like Memphis did a couple times running the ball in the first halves against UCF? UCF struggled against the run uh, against Memphis and Temple, among others. Is this the type of game LSU is going to play, or do you think they might try some different wrinkles here because, after all, it is a bowl game?
3: I think we're going to see option two. Um, first off, we don't have a running back like uh, Memphis does. Uh, that's a weird thing for an LSU fan to say. We, we're we used to a long line of great running backs. Our running backs are good, but they're pretty ordinary. Um, you know, this is not Henderson. Um, you know, Or for our team, this is not Darius Geis. This is not Leonard Fournette. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire also had an off-field incident, which we don't really know how it's going to work itself out. And... I just don't know what a status is for the game yet. But Brossette's kind of a bruising runner. But the big thing is our running backs just can't – they don't bust big plays. It's four yards, four yards, four yards. So I think considering we're missing so much of our defense and our running backs really aren't that spectacular, I think we are going to try and throw the ball. We're going to have our offensive line finally back. We have a deep receiving core that's been inconsistent this year. But, you know, it's a lot of freshmen. You know, we start – we start two freshmen and a sophomore. So I think you're going to see LSU try and debut next year's offense okay. in this game, which would be nice. I, I want to see this team take more chances, try and go at UCF. Um, and I say that with all respect for UCF, because I think UCF's a really good team. I don't think if LSU plays a very conservative game, I don't think we have a chance of winning. Uh, LSU's got to throw the ball. you know, They've got to put points up. And... I think Orgeron knows
0: that. That uh, you mentioned the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh situation and he was involved in um basically a sh- what was a shooting that was shooting. uh yeah. a, that was a that was deemed to be at least in self-defense with linebacker Jared Small. All right, so what do you what do you and the LSU folks know about this situation cuz this is this kind of this kind of thing has been moving by the second. It's kind of a bizarre situation that ended yep. up with with an eighteen year old kid dead, um, and it's 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 a terrible, terrible situation. Obviously, really scary. But what the hell happened?
3: Yeah, like I don't want to talk too much out of school because it's still hazy details. Yeah, and also it's that's clearly more someone's life is clearly more important than a football game. Uh, but what we know, I think, from the statement of the police, was that they were setting up a deal on Craigslist or something like that to uh, sell uh, a PS4. So probably because of the gift from the Fiesta Bowl. Let's let's be honest. Um, <laughs> or he was selling his old system. We don't know. Uh, but when they got when Clyde Edwards Hilaire got to the meet, the other party tried to rob him at gunpoint, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire pulled out a gun. Or we don't know. It could have been the other player who's a squad linebacker. I don't know his name.
0: Jared Small is his name. Yeah. yeah.
3: He's he's a walk-on um, linebacker. One of the two of them then drew a gun back and shot in self-defense, the person trying to rob them. And then also to their credit, they yeah. then immediately called 911 and waited for the police to arrive. So this was – the reason the cops found out about the shooting and found out about the suspects is because it was the players themselves that called it in and they were interviewed uh, for several hours. And then it was the police who released the statement that said, we're releasing them on their own recognizance. Uh, They're currently not suspects. We think it was in self-defense. We don't know if anything else is going to come out of this. Uh, It's just a tragedy. It's senseless. Why would you, it's a video game system, guys. Don't, don't try and shoot someone yeah. over it. And I mean, if someone draws a gun on you, particularly in the deep South with the gun culture, someone's going to draw back on you. Um, it's the stand your ground law. I mean, you have the right to defend yourself. But at the same time, it's just sad. So,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you, a lot of UCF fans, you know, look at that from the, from through the prism. Obviously, of the football game, which you know, I mean, I which you know, yeah. I get at first glance, but you know, obviously, you're right. It's a sad situation. I mean, we're glad obviously that you know, Clyde I, and I, Jared I say, are okay, but it, again, it's sad that uh, apparently the kid his name is uh, the kid who died was 18 years old, died yeah, at the it's scene. Just a, it's a, just a
3: tragic man. A tragic thing. But also, like Claude Edwards, layer has never been in a lick of trouble. He's he's a good kid. And, yeah, and also. He kept his head about it. I mean, let's—I I do salute him in the fact. I don't salute him for shooting someone. I—I I, I mean, even in self-defense, I just think that's a horrible burden for a person to carry. But the fact that after it happened, he immediately called nine one one. He waited for the cops. He, you know, told them the whole story. I think that's—that says something about his character, just to how he handled it afterwards. Yeah. That, you know, they didn't run from it and come up with some crazy story because that's how you get into serious, serious trouble is when you try and cover it right
0: or 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 as we've seen in other situations involving other people like they just they panic and run and exactly you know that and that's another thing but it's you know i mean not to pass judgment on anybody but that's it's it's a sad story that that it how it how it came out and it's unfortunate that it has obviously an effect in the game which we're all going to try and try all right let's try and brighten this thing up a little bit all right uh... um
1: I want to ask about Dave Aranda who I, I'm a fan of from afar I followed him even prior to his arrival at LSU when he was at Wisconsin I think he's one of the best defensive coaches out there from my in fact I made the comment on a recent episode that Jeff uh, had a was kind of caught off guard when I said I think Dave Aranda is the first I think he's the best defensive coordinator UCF has seen in the two-year run here by far like I don't even think it's close but I'm curious because I follow LSU closely I've went to a game there I know they uh, with their secondary. They put a lot of responsibilities on the secondary to play man-to-man so they can yes. get pressure from the quarterback. But as we've mentioned, they're going to be short-handed in the secondary. How do you see Dave Aranda's uh, scheme changing, if at all, going up against Darrell McIntyre, who's making his second career start or third career start here in this bowl game? Do you think he's going to change the scheme up because he's short-handed, Or does he stay with the plan and give uh, the other young guys opportunities and, and that maybe uh, there could be a big part of 2019?
3: First thing, I do agree with you know, that Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He, There's a reason he gets paid as much as he does. I, I think he's the highest-paid coordinator in the country. If not, he's top three. He's great. And one of the big things about Aranda is that he's very flexible. Uh, he definitely can make adjustments to the opponent, and also he's really good at mid-game adjustments. You know, one thing's beating him you know, he can come back with something else. I think one of the things that caught him in the A and M game in the overtimes is that he lost uh, Fulton and then he lost Kelvin Joseph. So he was down our number two and our number three corner and he hadn't had a chance to re scheme. He didn't have a chance to go to the locker room on it. Cause he lost those guys in the third and fourth quarter. And so he was throwing out uh Terrence Alexander who was just getting killed out there. Now, the Good news for y'all is Terrence Alexander's now going to start because <laughs> Fulton's not going to play. He's had surgery. Greedy Williams is now out. So, but I think with a full month to coach Ter- Terrence Alexander and also figure out ways to hide him, I, I think he's going to run that same man scheme. And I think the reason is is the other reason you, you touched on: we're going up against a quarterback who's only had two starts. I'm willing to bet our weakness at the second cornerback slot is going to outweigh the weakness at your quarterback position, particularly because our safeties are still great. Um, yes, we're missing our two top corners and Kelvin Joseph is going to be back. So he's our number three corner. I, I have full confidence in him playing as, as our number one corner. He he's nowhere near as good as greedy or Fulton are, but Kelvin Joseph is still, he, he's a freshman. He's been playing great all year. Um, at this point, he's a veteran. I mean, at this point, you're comfortable you your freshman, but our safeties, Grant Delpit, Todd Harris, Jacoby Stevens, John Battle, all four of those guys. And Ed Paris comes off the bench. I mean, that's five guys. What they will, he will probably do is tempt you into going at Terrence Alexander, and Grant Delpit's going to pop up out of nowhere and get an interception, because that's what Grant Delpit does. For all of the hype that Devin White gets and it's deserved. Devin White is a great football player. And one of the things Aranda is really good at is uh, coaching up linebackers. And I think Devin White has truly benefited from having Aranda as his head coach. But Grant Delpit's a sophomore. He's our uh, strong safety. He is one of the best safeties I have ever seen in an LSU uniform. And we've had some great ones. We've had LaRon Landry, Eric Reid's now in the NFL, uh, Jamal Adams, I think Grant Delpit's better than all of them. He he is great. And I think what there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of disguising of coverage and he's gonna rely on those safeties to make big plays instead of the cornerbacks.
0: Yeah. And one of the things we weren't expecting from DJ Mack when uh in the conference championship game was him attacking down the field. He actually threw for more yards in that game than Mackenzie Milton had in any single game. To this point in 2018, up to the injury, he hit on four passes of 44 yards or longer. But, uh, you know, again, that's that's two things. Obviously, credit to him for settling down after a really shaky first half. But also, you know, let's be honest with you, LSU's speed in the in the deep secondary, like you're saying, is is not like that much that he's seen uh, or really anybody else has seen, um, at least to this point. Uh, and that makeup speed, I think, is what's going to be a key factor.
3: That's exactly what it is. You're going to be looking at Terrence Alexander. You're going to see that he's beat. You're going to throw the ball, and Grant Delpit's going to come over the top because they yeah. they had schemed it, assuming that he was going to get beat on this particular coverage, and it was all a trap. I would not put that past Aranda. Aranda is a great defensive coach. Yeah.
0: And um, you can look and you can even look off guys, and they'll st- they still have enough speed to get back to the spot.
3: what will help you is that our pass rush we're gonna be you know we're missing our defensive tackles both of them we're gonna be starting a a true freshman and a, um, a redshirt freshman up there and i mean while i like tyler shelvin's potential he's not there yet um like i said our our top rush linebacker has been out the entire season he's knocking me back for this game um we've had an okay pass rush but not a great one so that does help if you have a a green quarterback the last thing you want to face is a ferocious pass rush yeah. you're not going to have to face that like last year i think auburn had a better pass rush than we will in this game
0: so let's finish by ragging on bama which is something that we all can oh,
2: yes that Thank we all God. can
0: uh, that we all can agree on um you touched upon this earlier about you know ucf's national championship claim i i don't call it a claim as much as it's you know well it it's it's there i mean it's it was there for the taking we claimed it um it's it, it, yes i i totally agree with the you know sticking sticking our finger in bama's eye is just the is something that i think a lot of football fans really enjoy about this because they are the empire they are um they're the borg Right and 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 for a team like UCF, which it's kind of funny, like you call I you you just call UCF a small school. It's the largest school by yeah, student population. True,
3: yeah. And I'm I'm I I in football terms, but, but yes, in, right.
0: in football terms, yeah, relatively speaking. But how much did you as an LSU fan, and how much did L, how much do LSU fans in general, aside from TJ LSU dad, um, just <laughs> enjoy this whole ride that UCF has? taken the college football world on the last 12 months?
3: I think more than other SEC schools, we enjoy it. Um, Mainly because I know my biggest gripe with Alabama is that they're humorless. They're (laughs) on this incredible run, which I think is truly the greatest run in college football history. Uh, What they've done over the past 10 years is you can put it up against pretty much anything in history, and it sucks to be in their division, and particularly to have our former coach, In charge of them I mean it is galling but you would think they would enjoy it more their fans are just the Borg is a perfect name for them you know you will be assimilated and for them to complain about someone else claiming a questionable title is the height of unintentional irony
0: (laughs) thank you for (laughs) saying this because that was one of our many points last
3: year seriously Bama's gonna complain about someone claiming a title but also like this is what I love about UCF In the course of the past two years, y'all have managed to anger, I think the most, these fan bases. Alabama, Auburn, and Florida. That's pretty much the list of schools LSU hates the most. So, (laughs) I'm totally on board with this. You know, print up a t-shirt. I I wish y'all weren't playing us so you could win again. And I could enjoy another (laughs) claim of a national championship. Uh, I mean... I clearly am not rooting for you in the Fiesta Bowl because I want my team to win. But if y'all win, I mean, I'll be upset for the loss because we kind of need that ten-win season. But from your standpoint, I'm not going to be mad if UCF wins from a UCS standpoint. I I think it's great. It's great for football. How could you not like this? Yeah, it's it's
0: part of it is just the fun of it, but also part of it is just the fact that you know it's UCF has kind of like taken the flag for. For the the quote little guys out there, right? That you know, because one thing that I've been saying, and Eric and I have gotten into many arguments on this podcast about it, is there's half effectively half of FBS is nominally disqualified from being able to win the national championship.
3: Absolutely agree with you. You know, it's and, the and, and, biggest and, problem with the playoff system.
0: Yeah, and, and I find it, and, and I find that to be preposterous. If you're gonna, but by the way, they sold it to us as. All 130 teams have a chance and that was a lie so you know so why not call it out for the lie that it is let me ask you this um, a lot of UCF fans well it, reportedly we don't know exactly how many UCF fans are going to be out there but I imagine it's probably about the same hoping that it would be about the same as went out to um, B- went out four years ago for or five years ago now for Baylor not sure how many LSU fans are heading out there, but we know that wherever LSU fans travel, they bring the most phenomenal tailgate cuisine you can possibly imagine.
1: So,
3: it, it is good. It, it is outstanding food. So, I, I will uh, put our tailgates up against anyone. Olmes says they've never lost a tailgate, but that's only because you don't keep score.
0: <laughs> so so let me ask so let me ask you this. If you're a, if you're a UCF, you're talking to UCF fans who want to partake in some of the fun. Um how do we go about this? I know it's an 11 a.m. kick, local yeah, that's time. That's going to be the difficulty. That's going to be a bit of the problem. Um, but, hey, listen, but wait, what are hold
1: the, on, hold on. I was at an Alabama-LSU game in Baton Rouge in 2014, and people were already tailgating 9:10 10 a.m. I don't think the morning's a
3: big deterrent to some of the Tiger fans yeah, that I ran. Okay, 9:10 okay, a.m., right?
0: like, the game kicks off at 11. <laughs>
3: yeah, and also there's going to be the rules of what's – what you can bring that's true because normally we could add on, on an lsu game day there's almost no limits of what people can bring to cook the fiesta bowl is going to be a lot stricter so you're not going to get peak lsu tailgating uh, oh. you're just not <laughs> i'm sorry oh boo it's also a morning game and you know it takes us a while to get ramped up but the big key for an lsu tailgate is that a we want you to to think that we have the best food in the world so lsu fans are, are very generous we want you to have our food and drink our beer and say it's the most delicious thing you've ever had on the flip side we're also very aggressive so we are going to yell at you we're going to tiger bait you we're gonna make fun of you what we want is for you to make fun of us back it's and then we'll throw you a beer like. It's mainly like you know we'll tiger bait you and then we'll say something about you being a small school and then say hey well at least we beat Auburn last year and like we like interplay and I think that takes a lot some fans aback like they get intimidated by us being the you know the big loud Uncle Buck kind of character um, LSU fans yes we're we are loud and obnoxious but I swear we're harmless. Unless you know, unless you're a Bama fan, that so, was for blood.
0: So your advice is, if you're a UCF fan, you're run, you're you're going around the parking lot in Glendale, um, the, the the screaming about uh, about you know the tiger bait and all that kind of stuff. That's an invitation to come on by and have some and have some early morning gumbo. This is what you're saying. It is,
3: is it it absolutely is. You just got to you know trash talk back.
0: Okay, okay. So we're gonna have, we have
3: our... enough in common to do that. We have enough in common between Alabama and
1: then. Also, we could laugh about how Florida complains about scheduling to everybody. You know? Yeah, oh, like, exactly. Are,
3: for a school that will never leave the state of Florida to complain about scheduling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also, I'm still I'm still mad about the hurricane thing. So, I mean, I can't even sure talk. But, I, I mean, they, they screwed us and then tried to run to the media – trying to portray us as a villain when we were the ones who were like, hey, hurricanes are dangerous. Perhaps we might want to reschedule this game.
0: Hey, that sounds familiar about Florida yeah, screwing it. somebody over and then running to the media trying to make them look like the villain. Oh, that sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, almost sounds like a strategy is is being employed up there.
3: Yeah, it's, it's almost like they do it all the time. You, Florida will not leave the state of Florida for an out-of-conference game. They just don't. It's... They're out of conference schedule. I think it's for like 20 years they haven't played an out of conference uh, game outside the state of Florida except for bowl games. I mean, it's right. ridiculous. Their only time they leave the state is when they play us. Right. Right.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. No, that's pretty accurate. 1991, Syracuse that was the last time Florida played a regular season game that was a true road game, not that was uh, out of state uh, since then. That was the last time they played. And actually, what's funny, and you know this because I give LSU credit, LSU, see, people. I mean, they've played everybody. Yeah. They've played Oregon. You've played Texas. You're going to play soon here. Florida and Kentucky are the only two schools in the SCC in the next 20 years that does not have a true non-conference road game that's not their in-state rival. Oh,
3: that's just – how,
0: how is Kentucky – oh, my
3: God. Kentucky, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes us so infuriated about 2011, aside from Alabama getting a second bite at the apple – And Oklahoma State getting screwed out of that. LSU that season played Oregon, who won the Pac-12 out of conference, and played West Virginia, who won the Big East out of conference. At West Virginia. Yeah. And Oregon was in a neutral site. Arlington, yeah, I remember that. Right. It's just like, that. if LSU wins that game, the 2011 LSU Tigers go down as one of the greatest college football teams of all time. So... There has really been a pall that has hung over the LSU program since that game. There's just no denying it. The the BCS National Championship game against Alabama really set LSU football back. And I think it hurt college football in general because that's kind of what set us on the ro- road to what we have now, this yep, system that's kind of rigged in Alabama's favor.
0: Well, it's Alabama funny. You, I was just going to mention that. Yeah. I was just going to mention that because, and I guess we'll finish off on this, because we're starting to hear the sort of same grumblings over the past month that we heard in the wake of that LSU-Alabama-BCS championship game that the system is not so much rigged in in favor of Alabama, but rigged in favor of the SEC, and that some other dignitaries and some other conferences are, are, are starting to chirp a little bit. We heard some folks from... Uh, the Big Ten, uh, the ACC, kind of getting into the mix a little bit. Do you think that if we get another Alabama invitation, if, if they just if they run through the playoff this year, and then let's say they do it again next year, could that be the catalyst for some of the stuff that we saw coming out of the Athletic earlier in the month? Where, yeah, the contracts through twenty twenty six, but the sponsorships are only through twenty twenty. And six years in, we might see a little bit of a change. Uh, we might see a, renegoti- a renegotiation of the contract. What do you think?
3: I don't think it's Alabama so much that'll cause the renegotiation. I think it's the Big Ten getting screwed because the Big Ten has weight. Um, Ohio State getting screwed this year, and I don't want to say they got screwed, but it was pretty much a coin flip between them and Oklahoma. But the Big Ten has now missed the playoffs two straight years. That's the kind of thing that's good for a if you want a larger playoff because the Big Ten, they're the big boys. Uh, I mean, you can't screw over Ohio State. You can't screw over Oklahoma. You can't screw over Alabama. It's right now you can, you can screw over the ACC because honestly, who cares about the ACC? I'm looking at it from a, <laughs> a power broker standpoint. You know, the Pac-12 gets hosed. Eh, no one cares.
0: They kind of hose themselves in a way, but anyway,
3: you, you screw over Ohio State. They care. You screw over Penn State. People care. And that's what leads to the expansion. We need a genuine screwing of a blue blood hmm. for expansion to happen. Well,
1: let's be listen, you mentioned how Oklahoma State got screwed in twenty eleven. You got screwed because you had yeah. to beat Alabama twice in a year. And yeah. I think that's why we went to four teams because people are like, This is a joke that we're having an all SEC. Uh, national title game, and LSU had to beat a team twice. That's, yeah, you're right. It always takes somebody getting screwed. That's what I've said. You know, people have. You know, it's not that UCF screaming it's going to change anything. It's yeah. when somebody like an Ohio State gets screwed, like the Big Ten, and those people say, "Whoa, whoa, why are we getting left out here?" That's when things start changing. Because
3: honestly, the power brokers don't care about UCF. You, oh. I mean, you guys can get screwed from now until the cows come home, and no one's going to care. Because and because uh, you're UCF and. That's wrong, but that's just the way it is. And also, that's what happens in SEC politics. LSU is kind of the bastard stepchild of the SEC. We lose all the internal politics because the power center of the conference is Bama, Florida, uh still Tennessee for reasons passing understanding. I was gonna and say, Georgia. yeah. <laughs> it's it's you know, it's those Auburn has more pull than we do. AM for some reason has more pull than LSU, and it's just so when LSU gets hosed by something in the SEC, no one cares because, I mean, LSU cares, but the power brokers don't. And that's how it's going to work from a playoff standpoint. UCF getting screwed, eh, whatever. You know, don't be UCF. Ohio <laughs> State gets screwed. They're going to, you know, bring down the hammer and, you know, figure out a reform because they want Ohio State in that playoff.
0: Well, here's to Ohio State getting screwed and Bama getting screwed and all those teams getting screwed, hopefully in the next uh, few Bama weeks. Here's
3: and <laughs> so like, yeah, here's the Bama getting screwed. Like, forget Ohio State. Also, <laughs> like, I think the good news for UCF is, you know, what does this lead to? Getting a bid to like the Big Twelve. I mean, there are ten teams. The Big Twelve is constantly getting hosed hosed over because of their round robin system. TCU made the climb up from the Mountain West to the you know to a Power Five conference and has acquitted themselves well. You know, they're not winning ten games every year, but they're still really really good and one of the better teams of that conference. To me, it seems UCF and maybe either USF or Cincinnati is a pretty logical fit in the Big Twelve, which could probably use to go back to twelve teams.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we've been we could go for another half hour on that, but I know you got I know you got a I know you probably you like like me are a dad and probably want to get to bed at least at this point. <laughs> but, yeah. <that's> true. <laughs> but uh, anyway, before we uh, before we let you go. Um, where are you going to be watching the game, and how can uh, UCF fans get in touch with you and follow you and follow everything that you do?
3: Um, I will actually be in New Orleans. Uh, nice. So I'll be at, uh, My friend has a bar, the Rum and Lash. Uh, he is the head chef there, and he just opened it up. So if you're going to be watching the game, come on by. I'll be watching the oh game there. Oh my god
0: you have you have a friend who's the head chef at a bar yeah. in New Orleans.
3: Yeah. Come nice on, job. man. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so life uh. is good. Um, you can follow my writing. I run under the handle Poser at uh, um, andthevalleyshook.com or one of the SB Nation sites. Uh, my Twitter where I tweet about all sorts of terrible things and <laughs> including lead soccer and Washington Capitals hockey because of other places I've lived at atvsposer.com. And that's Poser, P-O-S-E-U-R. So it's the classic punk rock spelling of
0: it. Or, or I was going to say the classic Bayou spelling of it, if you will.
3: Nah, well, yeah, yeah, I'm also Frenchified. It's because it works Posé.
0: So. Um,
3: poser. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Steven Baker from uh, andthevalleystruck.com. Steve, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Enjoy the game. We know you will. We don't know if you'll remember it at your friend's bar in New Orleans, but um, enjoy it. It should be fun. Oh,
3: yeah. Congratulations on a great season, guys, and I hope it ends in tears. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. All
0: right. Thanks to uh, Stephen once again uh, from andthevalleyshook.com, part of the SB Nation Network. Um, You can follow Stephen once again, like he mentioned, at uh, ATVsposer. Um, Also recommend Valley Shook on Twitter, Valley Shook. On Twitter, um, Podcat, our man over there is our uh, who's our uh, head uh, who's is is in charge of that site. One of the managing editors uh, is such a great follow on Twitter. <laughs> he really is amazing. So we um, want to thank those guys as well for their um, incredible hospitality. And UCF fans, if you're heading out to Glendale, you know, like I said, if you get yelled at by LSU people, that's just an invitation to come on over and have some great food and uh, and and talk about some football. So. Um, they're not as serious as the Alabama fans so don't get jaded, all right? Um, it's a fun group. It's a it's fun a, group a fun gr- and it and it's always fun. they love when opposing fans come by except for Alabama because Alabama like yeah. you know like Stephen was saying they take themselves too seriously. Um the, but you know if you're if you're if you're out of towners man they love it when you come by and uh, because they love showing you how great the food is. And uh, and that's the thing that I just love about um, Louisiana culture, and I know that you've that you've been up there many times. That they just they just love to party up there, and they love to take the party with them when they go on the road. Um, and uh, that's something that will be that that I hope that we enjoy. That I hope that everyone comes from out of there comes and say, "Hey, man, we had such a great time with the LSU folks. They were fantastic. We we had some gumbo, we had some uh, you know, we had a little uh, we had some seafood that they brought with us that they brought with them from." from the bayou out to the desert and it was a grand old time so um i mean you partook in a little bit of that up in uh, baton rouge a few years ago and i'm I'm guessing we're gonna get a little um a little bit of this right
1: oh yeah listen i I, i've spoken about it and i think I, i i went to the 2014 lsu alabama game uh night game I spent the weekend there, I sent Friday, I remember I went to an exhibition basketball game at the Pete Maravich Arena, I saw the Shaquille O'Neal statue up close, I got to see the new, the new Alex Box baseball stadium they have there, that Steven was talking about, and I got to witness that stadium and just to tailgate the entire day. Keep in mind, you're talking over 100,000 people in a, in a campus at that time for a football game to get in and get out and everybody was so chill. Even before the game, everybody was still tailgating, like, 10 hours before the game. And even after the game, after a heartbreaking loss, people are still, like, laying low and drinking and, you know, drinking their sorrows because they lost. but
0: <laughs> They're still having you know, a good time. It wasn't, time. Just, it wasn't, it wasn't right. like it, it didn't ruin their day.
1: No, I mean, they were bummed out, but it was, it was almost like part of them expected it because, you know, it's Alabama. Um, and, but it was an awesome experience, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, I mean, I remember they were tailgating there the day before when uh, Scott Van Pelt, remember Scott Van Pelt and, and Ryan Rosillo had their radio show there, Yeah, Van Pelt and Rosillo, um, it's a cool experience, the cool fans, uh, awesome facilities there, and you know, they obviously will be wearing the white tops, but uh, they're, they're a great fans, they're passionate about their program and uh, all sports, I mean, they love their baseball just as much, and they love football, obviously, so um yeah I, I, I think and look as I mentioned in the interview uh, we both have a lot in common we're both bugging Alabama, annoyed with Alabama and we both certainly are annoyed with Florida so
0: yeah well like we said it should be a good time they should be they should be enjoying it um, and, and and you should enjoy it as well if you're out there I, I wish I could get out there but Brian's out there like we had like we were having um, like we talked with him earlier and uh, it's it just should be a fun fun time out there for everybody so all right, uh, just a couple quick things I wanted to uh, catch up on as we roll on forth. There's basically no UCF uh, sports going on um, except for women's basketball until New Year's Day. Um, women's Hoops is on the road again. Can you believe this, that they're on the road? Um, again, they're, they're going up to Quinnipiac up in Connecticut on Sunday, December 30th at 2 o'clock. Um, coming off of, uh, by the way, that... Um, Close loss to Syracuse who is also top 20 in the RPI uh, as the Knights split their two games in the Saint Pete shootout they were right with the orange um step for step and then uh, and just couldn't get the buckets that they needed down the stretch so the Knights are um, right now at uh, where that right there it is 10 and two um four uh, and0 at home and five and away on the five and one away so um at least in a, at least they're still off to that pretty good start um should take uh, hopefully should take care of uh, this Quinnipiac team before they
1: well be careful be careful <clears throat> Quinnipiac and I'm not joking they're very good uh this is a team that was, won their league they made the NCAA tournament last year knocked off Miami in the opening round of course then they lost to Connecticut who doesn't right, right. this team won 25 games last year
0: now you know and they play well, this a is t- top tops in the uh in, it, or they're off to a uh, 5 and 5 start uh, this year. Um but it, it but you know, yeah, like you said, they are you know, they they were pretty solid uh, last year, but they, they're about a little, little bit of a lost. rough start here.
1: Well, because they played Texas and Missouri up in Elstero, Florida and lost two games close. They lost by one to number ten Texas, mm-hmm. lost by fourteen to Missouri, who's ranked eighteenth in the country. Uh they lost to central Michigan uh by fifteen. That their their the most recent game. But uh, they played a tough schedule. I'm I'm just telling you. Um not an easy game. Do not automatically assume this is a win. And you know how it is, we've seen this in sports. That last road game, oh, it's the holidays, you can get distracted, let's go home. I'm just telling you, just watch out.
0: I'm All right. To. By the way, the Central Michigan team that beat Quinnipiac also beat UCF. So, um, yeah. Now,
1: yeah, good. You made my
0: case. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, men's basketball, uh, on the other hand, uh, they. Uh, are not going to play their next game. They got a nice break, huh? They don't even play again until um, the new year, and they start conference play uh, at at home against uh, Temple on Wednesday, January 2nd, so the day after the bowl game. 7 o'clock tip on ESPN News. Yeah, big game coming in for them, right? Right
1: off the bat, Temple's played well in the non-conference. It's weird. They always seem to play Temple when UCF's involved in a big bowl game or celebrating bowl (laughs) games, but it's a big game, and... I don't know. I hope this time-off didn't hurt them because I thought they were phenomenal in their last game against Illinois State, and I thought they were starting to figure some things out, so hopefully this time-off doesn't hurt that. They can kind of carry that over to the conference because it's a tricky start. Home to Temple at UConn with with Coach Hurley, the new coach at UConn. They're playing a lot better. They're scrappy. That's a tricky, tough start. You don't want to get off to a slow start in this league, not with all the expectations like they are.
0: You know, I wanted to touch upon that Illinois State game real quick because the Knights won by 19. Um, they were up Big at the break, forty-three to eighteen. Uh, Illinois State kind of made a little bit of a run of it, but then the Knights kind of put it away. Um, e- again, this this game kind of played out like a UCF game. You think if all things went well, uh, should play out where um, you know Taco Falls' yeah, free throw problems did not come into play. Really, uh, he had a pretty good game at a double double. 11- eleven does. I,
1: really I yeah, thought he was tremendous. Yeah, he
0: was uh, eleven points, twelve boards, but affected every single shot. Um, around him. Uh, Chad Brown actually got the start um, at yeah. the four, uh, and uh, although we did see um, Colin Smith come off the bench and actually have a very good game, 12 really points, good. four rebounds, very too. Good.
1: So I'm interested to see if Coach Dawkins stays with that going into conference. They kind of said before the game it was more because yeah, Colin's a little banged up. They wanted to manage his minutes, but boy, he brought a spark there on the bench, so we'll see if they stay with that or not. It remains to be seen, but I thought they were clicking on all cylinders there. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, right time with the conference starting.
0: And combined from B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins, you got 12-23 of from the field uh, and 33 combined points. So your top two scorers were working. Your postgame was working. Taco was 5-for-5 from the field, by the way. I should mention that. Um, And it all worked. Against an an Illinois State team that, to be honest, is – you know, had better times, and certainly UCF. The last time they played them was certainly a little bit better. They they dropped to seven and six, uh, but UCF took care of business. I guess is that uh, yes, that is what you want to see heading into conference plays. Just I'm kind of looking for any sort of uh, dents in the armor, if you will. Uh, it, it, but I didn't really see any off of that game, except for uh, they kind of got a little soft in the second half and and let Illinois State kind of. Crawl back into it before they kind of put them away. Was there any concern from your part about that?
1: No, no. I mean, it's basketball. Everybody makes a run, uh, so I'm not going to get too caught up in that. You
0: know, it's all about. I just, I I don't know. I just like, I just like seeing teams when they just step on the other team's throat. I mean, that's that's the thing that I that I like to see them. And yes, we did kind of get that, but I was like, I hate getting into those little nail bitey situations because if you don't get a couple key baskets at the right time then things could really unravel as we have seen already this year. You know what I mean?
1: I understand. I understand, but I didn't I never got that sense in that game. I was more I think the Georgia Southern might be the better argument for that uh earlier when they yeah. kind of let Georgia Southern get back in there, but no, I I thought they did what they had to do. I know what you mean. I mean, Illinois they made a run there a proud program, but no, I I it's I liked what I saw.
0: So, all right, UCF is right now tied for third in the American with Temple uh at 10 and 2. Uh, Cincinnati's 11-2. and two. Houston's undefeated to start the year 12-0. and 0. How about that start really for good. the Cougars this year, huh?
1: They're really good. I mean, they've beaten LSU. They've beaten Oklahoma State. Uh, they've beaten Oregon. Uh, I think they're for real. I think this league is a lot better uh, than people think. It's funny. Uh, I think football, is, as we've seen in the bowl games, has kind of proven my point. I think football is down this year. People assume basketball is down this year. I think they're better than people think. I think Houston's good. Uh, I, I think they're, they're really good Tulsa's had some nice results off the you know Non-conference I actually think right now the American conference Is better than the Pac-12 and it would not Shock me if the American conference Ends up with more bids in the NCAA tournament Than the Pac-12 I think the American can make the case That they're the sixth best conference In the country which in basketball that's a big deal Because remember in basketball you include the Big East Which is a great league in basketball So uh, I, I think the league is This is a fascinating year for the league I, I think it's A lot of teams are improving. It's going to be a battle on a nightly basis.
0: Well, what do we have? We have, uh, let's see, Memphis, Houston, USF, and ECU all have games before the new year. And I'm trying to see how many teams could the American have uh, get double-digit wins before New Year's Day. So, okay, so USF has one more game. UConn's at nine wins, but they're kind of stuck there. Um and yeah, so nobody else does, but you know you could have one, two, three, four, five, six, um, teams from the American with double digit wins heading into now, New Year's Day. So that's a that's a three, good indication, right?
1: I think three bids is a very realistic goal for the league this year, which not a lot of people thought would be the case in the preseason. I think a three right. to four bid league this year would be successful, and I think it would be more than the Pac-12 may end up getting unless they just get reputation teams in, but. Uh, Never really that I'm telling that out. you, this league is a <laughs> – no, but I think this team's league is a lot better. I mean, Cincinnati, a lot of people think would, thought would be down. They're just – you know, they just keep rolling with Mick Cronin as the head coach there. Uh, they're good. South Florida's very much improved in Brian Gregory's second year. I'm telling you, this league is going to be a battle on a nightly basis. So I, I'm telling you, that's why it all starts with you don't want to get – you don't want to dig yourself a hole in this conference because I don't think you can dig yourself out of it uh, with the depth that I think this league might have this year.
0: Well, it's going to be ten and two against ten and two next Wednesday. So, um, and I know that you guys will be, uh, or, or, or actually, Brian won't be back in time for that. But we'll all be watching that game <laughs> intently because, yeah, he's getting back from Phoenix on the third. Slacker, I know, right? Can't,
1: can't fly overnight. <laughs> I know. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
0: All right, let's uh, wrap this thing up. Elo, right. uh, what do you have coming up for us? And you, uh, you and I have been collaborating on this uh, future UCF Hall of Famers. We've been kind of. Um, working a few of those out through the holidays here and there, catching up with some of the old guys. Uh, it's been a pretty good series, gotten a pretty good response so far, but uh, what else do you have on tap?
1: Yeah, that's going to be going on through the new year. I mean, I think through all the sports year, because it's going to be a pretty late thing. I kind of compared it, uh, that's kind of our version of the 30 for 30 or sports century, if you will, right? I mean, a little feature there, and we'll move on. We'll do other sports too uh, once we get done with our football people. Um, also, I wrote you know, this is our last podcast of 2018. So I wrote the uh, the top 18 games of 2018 at all UCF Athletics. Uh, that's on blackandgoldbanner.com. Uh, did you have any uh, qualms there real quick there when you looked at it?
0: I didn't really. I thought that the football was a little heavy toward the top five. I thought that they were some uh, – I thought that some of those soccer games, some of the men's soccer games, especially down the stretch, um, could have gotten – could have been a little bit higher up on the list. Maybe – um, I, I thought that maybe the UCF Temple game wasn't quite could, didn't probably should have been a little bit lower.
1: That's probably my one that. thought. I, I don't disagree with that. I kind of put the football up there because of the streak. Every game, the streak, those games, the streak was yeah, on the line. I mean, before.
0: football naturally just kind of takes all the oxygen out of the room, you know. But
1: but I think this was unique because of the streak and the fact that you know if UCF loses to Temple or if they would have lost to Memphis, college game day probably doesn't come here. Um, and that's why I had the Cincinnati game Just because of that whole day as a, as a whole But I, I don't disagree with that I I usually don't like to stack up football That quickly up front Even though I always hear from that Well hey man where's that football game You know I've already heard from I mean it's funny if I've heard people Well what about the Pit game I mean, I'm like yeah, that was a disaster That was a horrible game Like the only thing I remember from that game Was Pit faking injuries That's never a good <laughs> sign of a quality game But um, you're right I, I probably stacked a little bit But you know it was tough I mean uh, men's soccer there were some great games there baseball volleyball i mean you had to be proud of that i had three volleyball matches in
0: there yeah i, I thought it was a nice job by you putting both of the cincinnati matches in there they were both uh sort uh, yeah, of no, tying no, them yeah. for the same spot which was uh which was good i mean those matches were first of all they were amazing quality volleyball matches and uh, and they were su- and they were so significant um to the team this year so uh, so that was a lot of fun that was a lot of fun to see but yeah, if you've so, got any, yeah, if you've got anything, any qualms with it, that if you're listening, let us know in the comments about that because that's actually something that we've done the last, I think, three years, right? When we've done the top, yes, whatever yes. games of that year. Um, like, if we're still doing this in the 2030s, you're not going to extend it out to like 30 games, are you?
1: Let's hope not. Because uh, That's a
0: bear to edit. It.
1: <laughs> It'll be tricky. Uh, so you can check that out on the site. Also, um, as I mentioned, I'm filling in on the finish line. If you're listening to this on Friday. We're going to have Gordy Rush on that show, who is the sideline reporter for LSU football. That'll be on at 350 Eastern on Friday. If you're listening to the finish line on 96.9, the game in Orlando, you can watch that. Uh, you can also li- listen to that on the iHeart app uh, on that. So I, I think that'll be kind of cool to kind of get that perspective uh, with two sideline reporters, Jerry O'Neal, obviously, who I'm doing the show with uh, as I'm filling in for shot. And then obviously uh, – the LSU sideline reporter so that'll be pretty good and then on Saturday I just found out as we were doing this episode I will be on on the producer's show up in Lafayette Louisiana on 103.7 in Louisiana I will be on uh right there at about 10 11 a.m eastern 10:30 uh central time I'll be on there to uh, give the UCF perspective as they preview the LSU UCF game
0: good stuff and we'll also have uh plenty of content from the Um, from the bowl game coming up. Of course, Brian is there. Jeremy Brenner is also there. Uh, Jeremy's got a, um, got a round table coming up. Luke Saris will have his preview coming up around the corner. And uh, like we said, we'll kind of be rolling everything forward as we get ready for Tuesday uh, and the bowl game. So if you're traveling out to Phoenix via, um, Via driving i don't know why in the world you would drive out there no, but, why?
1: no don't do that
0: uh, no seriously oh. man it, 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 come on fly get, get spring for the plane tickets and fly for crying out loud um, that, if you're if you're driving if you're flying whatever you're doing hopefully is it
1: that really much more cheaper to do that i guess i guess it is but there's creative ways where you can yeah.
0: i mean it depends on how many people you're going with right and also that's and also how much you value sleep
1: that's good point
0: so but uh, if you, however you're traveling out to Phoenix, be safe out there. Enjoy it. Um, have fun with the LSU folks. And uh, like I said, hoping that uh, everyone represents UCF well as the Knights go for win number 20. Can you believe it? Win number 26 in a row uh, at another bowl game against an SEC team. So much on the line in this game. And we hope everyone enjoys their time out in Phoenix and has a... Grand Old time. So for, uh, by the way, thanks again to Brian Murphy for joining us uh, from Houston, from the airport on his way out to Phoenix. Spokes underscore Murphy. And thanks also to uh, Stephen Baker from And the Valley Shook. Make sure you follow Valley Shook on Twitter as well as uh, Stephen individually at uh, ATVsposer. We'll be sure to link him up here uh, in the show notes as well so you can follow him. And the good folks over at ATBS because they do a great job covering LSU. Make sure you follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, as always, at Black and Gold Banneret.com. For Eric, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game. And we will be talking to you not long after it in 2019. Enjoy the Fiesta Bowl between UCF and
2: LSU.